The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. We're going to pass peace to each other in just a minute, but what I want to do first is something with all the kids. Is that okay if I do something with all the kids? Can I, can, can I have all the kids come, come up here with me for just a minute? And I mean, like, littlest to biggest. It really won't work unless everybody's here. So if you want to come with a parent, that's okay. You don't have to come alone. Hi, how are you? So here's the deal, guys. Do you see this really cool golden bracelet I'm wearing? Just say yes. <laughs> this golden bracelet is going to go to the king or queen of all the kids, okay? So we have to decide who's going to be the king of the kids or the queen of the kids. You're going to be the king of the kids? Okay. Well, what I was thinking is maybe we could line you up from the tallest t- kid to the shortest kid. Maybe that would help us decide who would be the most king-like. Can we do that or queen-like? You want to be the queen. Okay. <clears throat> if it ends up being a king, you're going to have to talk to the king and see if that's okay. So the tallest kid over here on, on my right, and the next tallest kid, let's see, would that be Abel or Troy? Or, what's your name? Aaron. Welcome. Okay. Who's going to come behind Gavin here? Okay, Troy, you don't have to stand there. You can just sit there. Okay. <laughs> Abel, you can be next if you're the next tallest. Gigi, who, are you taller than Aaron? Go stand next to Aaron and see if, who's taller there. You have to stand on the floor. No cheating. <clears throat> I think he's got you. I think he's got you. Aaron, can you come up next? Right next to Abel here. Okay. And Gigi, I think you're going to be next. And Maddie, can you come stand right next to Gigi here? You want to stand next to Gigi? And hello, Noella. How are you? Okay, so it looks like you're going to stand there last. So, kids, <laughs> who do you think would look, from what we've got right here, who would be the best candidate for king of the kids who would wear the golden bracelet? Look around you for a minute. We've got the tallest, oldest, strongest kid over here and the little weak baby down here. <laughs> Who's going to be king of the kids, do you think? Does anybody think it should be Gavin? No, <laughs> Gavin doesn't think so. <laughs> well, actually, we're going to have a queen of the kids today. And it's going to be this little one right here. And she's got it. Do you think she would make a good queen over all you other kids? She doesn't even go to the bathroom by herself yet. <laughs> she could wear it as a crown. That's how tiny she is. But something that is important to remember is that even though people sometimes look to the tallest and strongest to be the most important, God cares about what's inside you, and sometimes God chooses the smallest person for the most important job. Can you believe that? No. No. (laughs) All right. Well, everybody give these kids a warm round of applause. Thank you guys so much. That was really excellent. And 
hey, all you kids, do you know that we love to have you stay with your families when we're, when we're worshiping together? And even when the preacher's preaching, it can kind of get boring, right? But we have this cabinet at the back of the room, and uh, anybody who's got kids, you can get art supplies there and use them during the sermon time. The rest of you, just stand up and say hello to one another. We'll look into, um, into the God's Word in just a minute. So today, um, we get to start a new series in God's Word, and it's a series that's going to be based on the life of an Old Testament character many of you have heard of. His name is David. We're actually going to do this series in two parts, three weeks starting today, called The Rise of a King, talking about David's ascent um, as God's chosen leader of Israel. Then we'll take a week off and do something a little different, and then the next three weeks after that week off will be the second half. It'll be the sequel to the David series, and that's going to be called The Fall of a Man, where we get to look at how, even though David was God's chosen one, um, his humanity was his downfall in some ways. Uh, he was far from perfect. Uh, and so to get you to the point where we're at in the Bible, I want to give you just a real quick run-through of where we've, what's happened in the Bible since we last did a series that was based on a, a book of the Bible. Remember we did a series on Joshua a month or two ago? Um, and now some of you who have gone through our Journey Together membership class know all about how these books of the Bible relate to one another. But for, for some of you, I, I want to correct what I would, um, what I call the flannel graph fallacy. Anybody go to Sunday school in, in, when you were a kid? I did, and it's okay if you didn't, um, believe me. But I, the flannel graph fallacy is, is what I grew up believing about the Bible, which was that all these stories I was told as a kid, they all happened like on the same street, you know, in the same you know, a three or four year period maybe. So Noah lived down the street from Peter and, and Jesus, you know, got to see Abraham at the market when they were shopping for food and stuff. So I just had these little flannel graph characters and I didn't know, like, and it wasn't until much later in life that I began to see how all, this, all these stories related to one another. So as many times as you give me a chance, I like to try to correct that flannel graph fallacy um, for some of you. So we were in the book of Joshua and Joshua is the story of the Israelites entering the promised land, right? He's the new leader of the Israelites, and they, they, they sack the Canaanites, and they take their, their land. The next book that you would encounter in your Bible is the book of Judges. So after they inhabited the promised land, there was a period of time when the Israelites were ruled by judges. They didn't have a king yet. They were ruled by people called judges. And the next book in the Bible is Ruth. And Ruth is a story that happens during the time of the judges, um, and Ruth is a, a really interesting character. She's, she's lauded for her loyalty to her mother-in-law. And she actually ends up uh, being a, an ancestor of David, who becomes the second king of Israel. And so the book that we're looking at today, and for most of this series, is First uh, Samuel. And that's the book that comes after Ruth. And First Samuel is the story of Israel transi- transitioning from a judged nation to a monarchy, essentially. And the beginning of the, the book starts um, by talking about the end of the period of Judges. Samuel was kind of the last Israelite judge. And he was the one who anointed the first two kings of Israel. <clears throat> so in the book of Samuel at the beginning, the, the Israelite people demand a king. They're no longer satisfied with the judges because the judges have become corrupt. And they think that a king would be the solution. And they, and they see, they look around them and all the pagan neighbors around them have kings, 
And so they say, we want a king. And the Lord kind of relents and says, okay, you have rejected me and, and the judges by saying this, but if that's what you want, then that's what you'll get. And so Samuel anoints the first king of Israel, whose name is Saul. And check out what they say about Saul. Um, when he took his stand among the people, this is First Samuel 10, he was head and shoulders taller than any of them. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the one whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. So the, uh, one of the main criteria on which Samuel deemed Saul worthy was that he was tall. You know, which works for me, but um, you know, <laughs> maybe not the greatest criterion to use uh, for a king. And it turns out that Saul is a little bit of a doofus when it comes to obeying God's word and leading the people in the way that God has called him to lead the people. And so in 1 Samuel 15, what does God say? This is something very interesting. All you Calvinists out there, you want to listen to this. The Lord says, I regret that I made Saul king. Oops. For he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Wow. We could spend the entire summer doing series of sermons on what it means to say that God regretted doing something or, or changed his mind or didn't change his mind or doesn't change his mind or does and all those things. Um, and in some ways that might be more fun. Uh, but we're not going to do that, so sorry. God tells Samuel to go anoint a new king. And that brings us to today's passage, which is how David was anointed to become Saul's predecessor. Now, David is not part of Saul's family. And so monarchy typically goes through a bloodline, but it's not going to happen that way. Uh, and so Samuel goes following the Lord's command to anoint a new king. So we'll get into that in just a minute. I'll tell you that story. But first of all, I want to tell you a little story about myself. Let me ask you a question. If you were picking teams for kickball, let's say, where would you pick this kid? First? Any firsts out there? No? Second? Oh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Second? Last? <laughs> thank you. Jerk. I was picked last for the kickball team. And I was sort of sad about that. And so we played kickball at gym class. And, I, you know, I'm not sure how old I was in this picture. Maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 8 and 11 probably. I was a late bloomer. Um, so I was picked last for this kickball team in gym class. And I was very sad. And I had struck out <laughs> in kickball, which is much harder to do than it is in baseball, uh, already in the game twice. And it was the last inning, and my team was down by one run. And how many outs were there? Two. And how many people were on base? One. And so I came up to kick again. And I was like, everybody, oh, come on in. <laughs> Scotty's up. And I don't know what happened, but I tore into that ball, and I actually kicked it. And it went over everybody's head. And I started running and running. I, I rounded the bases first, second, third. 
The tying run scored ahead of me, and then I slid into home, having scored the winning walk-off home run in kickball. No, actually, I, I popped up. <laughs> but you can imagine what it would have been like if I had kicked that home run and won the game. Well, if you haven't picked up this theme, you will in a minute. <laughs> Turn with me in your Bibles uh, to 1 Samuel fifteen thirty-five, the very end, last verse of, of 1 Samuel 15. If you brought a Bible with you, that is terrific. We'd love to have you looking at them. If you didn't, there are red Bibles just like this one underneath your chair. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, you're more than welcome to take one of these with you. These are our gift to you. But for today, you can just, uh, for right now, you can read along to it, and it's page 226 in these red Bibles if you want to cheat. Um, but you also know now that it goes Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, right? Did I have that right? Sort of? Yeah. <laughs> I went to seminary. Um, so 226 in the red Bibles, First Samuel, end of, end of chapter 15, if you're looking it up in your own Bible. This is not on the screen because I'd like you to follow along in the book with me. <clears throat> okay. Now this is, this is after Saul has been cast out and, and discarded and rejected as king. He's still the king, but the Lord has said, I don't want him to be the king anymore. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. It says that for a second time now. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord says, Trick him. Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? Why would they ask him that? Well, I didn't read you what happened at the ver- a couple verses before we started, but Samuel hacked a pagan king to pieces with his sword. Um, it's one of those verses that you don't want to make your life verse. Uh, Samuel hewed a gag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. So maybe they, maybe they got word of the Samuel's skill with a broadsword. Um, and they asked him if he's coming peaceably. He said, verse 5, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came... He looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. Why do you think he might have said that? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Oh, nuts. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, 
The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. So the key idea for today's sermon comes right out of this passage, and it's verse 7, the second half of verse 7. This concept is as follows. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They, we, look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? On the heart. And really, this, this tendency of God to use the unlikeliest of people and turn them into heroes is really something that comes up again and again and again throughout Scripture. Um, there's a great passage in the book of Mark, Jesus' teaching, and he says, uh, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will, use, will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed. Has anybody ever seen a mustard seed? They're really tiny. It's about the size, it's smaller than a peppercorn. It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That seems to be the way God does things. Takes the smallest and littlest and most unlikely and turns it into something magnificent, a hero. This is a lesson that I think God may have been trying to teach me personally lately because it seems to be coming up a lot. Um, in fact, the, the message that I gave during the Joshua series, does anybody remember the, that first one that I talked about, about Rahab? Rahab was an unlikely ally to the people because of her profession. She was a prostitute. And yet God did great work using her. How about Moses? Moses, the mouthpiece of God, essentially, before the Pharaoh, when the, when the Egyptians had the Israelites in slavery. Only problem is that Moses, uh, the Bible says, was slow of speech and tongue. He had some sort of impediment. Maybe he stuttered or something like that, and yet he was to go to the king of the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, and tell that king to let God's people go. What else? What other small characters in the Bible become heroes? Do you know? Shout it out if you can think of one. Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. That's right. <laughs> but yes, it's an excellent example. We'll talk more about the end of his life later, but this little baby born into a feeding trough, you know, and yet somebody handed him a little paper bracelet to put on, <laughs> and he became a king. Who else? Joseph. Yes. I can't, uh, I ran sound once for the Joseph musical a couple years ago, and now whenever anybody says Joseph, I have these annoying songs running through my head. But yes, yeah, went on to, 
to be part of that redemptive plan, uh, even though he was the youngest brother and got slapped around and sold into slavery. And What about Mary? I was just going to say Mary. It's almost like we're married. <laughs> Ben mentioned Jesus, and I talked about his birth, but what, what came before the birth? A pregnant, unwed teenager in a paternalistic culture. Not some place you'd look for the holiest of all women. But this is what God does. He takes these people that we think are worthless or useless or unlikely, and he turns them into the heroes of our faith. We are, uh, throughout this David series, using lectionary passages, and as some of you know, because we say this from time to time, the lectionary is just a a prescribed list of readings that that goes for three years, and uh, we don't use it all the time, but during this series, we are going through the book of 1 Samuel as it appears in the lectionary during the summer. We're going to jump around a little bit to use the the particular passages that we want to hit, Um, but each day, each Sunday for this David series, we'll be using a passage from 1 Samuel. And we'll probably be looking at a lot of the other passages that are assigned to that same day. And one of the passages that's assigned to this story uh, of the anointing of David is an an alternate Old Testament reading from Ezekiel, which I think is really interesting. Ezekiel 17. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. The New Testament says it this way. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So our expectations about how God is going to work, he tells us sort of from the beginning, (laughs) you're going to have it wrong. I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense to you. So let's ask ourselves, why does God choose these people? Is it just because he wants to be contrarian? I was talking with Bethany beforehand about how when we were in high school and college, we tended to dislike music that was popular for the reason that it was popular. And we want it to be different. It, so is God that guy? <laughs> oh, I don't like Dave Matthews' band. No. <laughs> no, not since 93. <laughs> no, I will choose the Decemberists. No. Um, oh, they're so awful. <laughs> if you like the Decemberists, you have to explain that to me after church because I do not get it. <laughs> Why does God choose these people that that we would never think based on what we can perceive? Well, the answer is in that key verse that I read to you earlier, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not see as we see. We look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And once you get that principle, I think there there are kind of two directions you can take that. You can apply that in two different ways. The first way is to have some reassurance, some confidence in your own value and worth to God, no matter who you are. 
If you're small or quiet or inexperienced or you have doubts or you're not not sure you fit in anywhere, you are of great worth and value to God. And he may do something through you that he would never do through the tall, handsome preacher guy who who talks in public. If I ever meet that guy, I'll tell you. But (laughs) That's something that we love to kind of play out in our brains, right? We all kind of want to imagine ourselves being David, the small shepherd boy who then goes and kills the giant. We're actually not going to talk about Goliath during this series, um, except in passing like I just did. But that is a very attractive story, right? It has this, this kind of... No one believes in me, and I triumphed over them all. I, I, I kicked the home run in kickball when they picked me last kind of feel to it. We all want to be that person. And so you can be reassured that that's the kind of thing that God sometimes does. Because in our darkest moments, I don't think we're actually usually able to believe that that story is about us. Late at night, <laughs> when we're kind of reviewing all our failures of the day or the week or the year, it's hard for us to imagine that that God would write our names into that story, isn't it? And so be reassured. That's the first direction you can can apply this, this truth, that God looks on the heart. The second way that that some of us need to focus on, perhaps, is our estimation of the value and worth of other people. Because they're small or quiet or they don't fit in or they have doubts or they're inexperienced or whatever it might be, we tend to say, oh, you know what? That's not where God's going to probably do his work. Even Samuel was like that. You remember when he's, he's going through all these sons? and Let's think about this for a second. How, did, how do you think Jesse brought the sons? In what order to Samuel? <laughs> He started with the oldest or the tallest or the strongest or whatever and said, hey, Eliab, nope, Abinadab, nope, Shema, no, 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 no. And Samuel's like, what is going on here? Do you have any other sons? Samuel probably was like many of us and, and thought that he had a pretty good idea of where, which people were going to do it and which people were just not. So for many of us, we need to to look around. When we look around this place and see a lot of healthy, well-fed, highly educated, middle-class and above people, and look around this room and say, yep, if God's going to do some work, I think it's probably going to be with one of us or somebody who's a lot like us. Whoa, Nellie, right? What does that imply about your your opinion of the people who are not in this room right now. (laughs) And God's likeliness to use them. Now, the tension between those two applications, I think, is crucial. Let me do a little thought experiment here. You don't have to stand up or anything, but if I were to go right down the room here between Kyle and Brian... And uh, Maddie and Jeff, you guys are on. You'll be with this group. And everybody on this side is with with this group, okay? Now, I want you to kind of, regardless of how you may feel about yourself or other people, I I want the people on this side of the room to imagine that you have a really hard time seeing your own value and worth to God, okay? You're that first group of people. You're sort of downtrodden and and you're kind of doubting that God would use you, all right? And 
on this half of the room, I want you to be the second application people. You're the people, regardless of whether you're actually like this in real life, which I know none of you are, who think that, you know, the lesser people among us kind of need to step up their game if, if, if they want to be involved with the work that God is doing, okay? So we've got these two groups of people in the room, and I think actually the, the very middle section here, which is nobody's in it, by the way I delineated you, is where God wants us to be, but that's a very small place to occupy. Why? Do you see the problem that happens when these two groups of people come together? What effect does this group of people have on this group of people? It makes it even worse, doesn't it? Because you all are just reinforcing their deepest, darkest belief about themselves, which is false. But the fact that we're all together in the room, you're kind of pushing them even, you're marginalizing them even more. And so we want to come toward this middle place, but here's the, here's the second problem. If we can actually correct our way of thinking and each of us move toward the center, how great is the danger of overcorrecting? The people over here have finally started to see their worth to God. And they're thinking, yes, God can do work through me. Me. <laughs> me. And pretty soon they're over in this group thinking, God's going to do work through me. I am so glad I'm not in that group anymore. And probably a, a slightly lesser risk, but a, a reality nonetheless, is if you people get your act together and start being a little more humble and saying, God will work through anybody, it doesn't have to be somebody awesome like me. In fact, I'm maybe not that awesome in the first place. And you're coming toward the middle, and pretty soon you're thinking, well, God's going to do his work through anybody. It doesn't have to be me. And then you're halfway to being over on this side and saying, God wouldn't do any work through me. So it's, it's very tricky to walk this narrow space between these two ideas. I think, though, that the middle is where God wants us to be. You have to know that God can and will use you. But you can never get to the place where you're imagining that God can't do it without you. <laughs> or that God only wants to use you and not, not the person next to you. And that's that middle ground that we have to try to exist in. So as we're beginning to wrap up here, I want to, I want to get a little theological with you. Is that okay? I told you a funny story about kickball, so I can, I can, I can get theological now. That's the balance. <laughs> I want to jump ahead to the New Testament understanding of who David was, who King, King David, God's anointed one. The early Christians very much understood Jesus as the Messiah. Who can tell me, who's a Hebrew nerd and can tell me what Messiah actually means? Anointed one. So just as Samuel anointed David's head and made him king, Jesus, according to those of us who are Christians, is the Messiah, the true anointed one of God. And actually, it's kind of interesting, he came from the lineage of King David. That's why you get those really boring genealogies in in Matthew. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. Because what you're doing is tracing the line between David and Jesus. is part of what you're doing. And to those of us who are Christians, 
the anointed King Jesus, the Messiah, is the ultimate example of God doing miraculous, life-changing work from a basis of weakness and frailty. Because this little baby, born in a straw feed box, had actually a less dignified death. What could be more frail? What could be weaker? What could be more powerless than a man dying nailed naked to a cross? And to those of us who are Christians, it's in this one action, this sacrificial death, that we place all our trust, all our hope, all our faith, and all our love. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. And hear this, from now on, therefore... We regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Jesus is not interested in being your life coach. He doesn't want to help you improve your skill set. He doesn't want to give you an extreme makeover. (laughs) He wants to destroy you (laughs) and kill you and recreate you entirely. Because, remember, it's not even about your skill set or the way you look or any of that outward stuff at all in the first place. God does not see as mortals see. We look on the outward appearance, but God looks where? In the heart. And the interesting thing, and this is where Christianity finds its point, (laughs) is that if the heart is what is important, we are in trouble because the heart is the thing that we can't really change ourselves anyway. I could go practice my guitar for two or three or four hours a day and get really good at it. Ben has been my guitar teacher in the past and he knows that I don't do that. But (laughs) if I did, I would see results. There is no woodshed I could go to to practice making my heart (laughs) right and fix the problem that it has. (laughs) The solution to that is for Jesus to lay it low, tear it down, and to recreate me. And that's what he wants to do in you as well. So we have tried to make this place, this crazy little church we've got here, a place that's kind of in the middle, where we are all aware of the fact that God could do anything he wants without us, and that he doesn't need us, but that he does want to use us. And where we make space for people who don't, haven't quite grasped that reality yet. 
And so as we're celebrating communion together, I've been really on this community kick with the, with the sacrament lately. We celebrate this as a remembrance, uh, a reenactment of the death of Jesus. And we, we partake of it as spiritual food, nourishment for our souls. But we also, and I've been stressing this every time lately, we also take it together as an act of unity. And for all of us who follow Jesus, this is something that we're going to do together, regardless of which group we may find ourselves in. And hopefully, in that unifying, equalizing sacrament, we will find true Christian unity where we can, we can exist together. And so if you're a person today who, who is kind of wrestling with that, haven't figured it out, and you, and you don't want to take communion yet because you don't want to do something that, that doesn't have meaning for you, then, then that's okay. You can definitely just kind of hang out um, and think and pray. Uh, but if you're a person who's here and has said, today maybe, for the first time, I'm, I'm realizing that God actually does want me, that Jesus wants to change my heart because I can't do it on my own. And you want to make this communion your first act of faith? That would be a terrific way to do that. Um, and we'd also love to hear from you if that, if that describes you. If that ever happens to you in this place, please let one of us know, you know, in person or write it on an info card or something like that. Uh, but I'm going to pray, and the communion table will then be open for the rest of our time together. God, we give you thanks because you use the small, the unlikely, the young, the uneducated, the poor, the sinful, the powerless, and also that you use the arrogant and the self-centered and self-absorbed among us. And it's our prayer that as we come together around your table to celebrate your death and resurrection, Jesus, that, that your spirit would be among us, that it would, it would unify us, and that it would teach us how to coexist and to live out our faith in a way that makes a difference in our city and in our world. I pray for those who may be making decisions of faith for the first time, that you would welcome them joyfully to your kingdom. And that as they join us around this table, they would be unified as well. That we would be one family, one uh, body to do Christ's work in the world. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So when you're ready, you can come to this communion table, tear off a piece of that bread, dip it in wine or juice. We have both here. Whichever is appropriate for you is okay. Um, and this table's open for the rest of our time together. Come as God leads. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.